The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Hello there, boys and girls, and welcome to a brand new episode of Circling the Bases, proudly a part of NBC Sports Edge. I'm your host, Colin Henderson. Joining me today, as always, Mr. Christopher Crawford. Chris, week one of the fantasy season in the books. I don't know if you're in any head-to-head leagues, but how you how you feeling after the first week? I am not in a single head-to-head league. Not and I didn't one think, head-to-head league? I, I didn't think about that you're until like you brought it up right leagues, now. leagues, but you can I, find I'm, one that's a head-to-head? Every single one that I am in is uh, standard roto stuff. Like, no, okay. I'm not even in any points leagues or anything like that. I'm all five-by-five, five and uh, it's going okay. How about you? I mean, other than getting smashed by a couple of early season injuries, Alex sure. Cobb, Sonny Gray, Teoscar uh, Hernandez, Javi Baez. Like, let's, let's not talk about one of those injuries. Because with those, with those red much. ones with an IL-10 next to it is really infuriating yeah. me. But yeah. otherwise, otherwise, I like I like a bunch of my teams, although first week was not particularly great to me. I uh, hope it was better for all of you out there. Welcome to everyone who is watching this live on our YouTube or Twitch channels. Um, And obviously, if you're listening to this in podcast form, thank you, as always, for the listen. Coming up on the show today, we have a very special guest. Chris and I will invite Dodgers beat reporter Pedro Mora onto the pod to talk his new book, How to Beat a Broken Game, The Rise of the Dodgers in a League on the Brink. And we're going to talk some early season news surrounding that team from L.A. But before we welcome Pedro onto the pod, a quick promo here. The 2022 MLB season is underway. And the NBC Sports Edge page is giving our listeners a special offer. Get 22% off an annual Edge Plus subscription when you use the promo code BASES22. Get expert insight and access to tools that will give you an edge against your competition at one low price. So go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash Edge Plus and use the promo code BASES22 to check out and save big this season. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. 
Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, so let's invite Pedro on to the show, and we're happy to have you. Pedro, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me, Colin and Chris. Yeah, appreciate it. How are you guys yeah. doing? Doing all right doing on our end here. Yeah, I've I've got to ask you a question before we get started. And all right, run it because I've been I've been following Pedro's work for a long time. And as a fan of Notre Dame and as a fan of the Washington Huskies, is USC football about to be really good again? As a guy who covered that team for a long time, is USC yeah. football about to be really good again? That's a great question. I am no longer the person to ask. There was once a time <laughs> where I was. I you know sure. I will say that the people that I know that care about USC football. Mm-hmm. sort of uniformly seem really excited about oh, so, that's terrible news <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you like usc fans feeling joy it's a bad time I'll, I'll be happy for fans like eric steven and those guys but as a person who enjoys notre dame football and kind of enjoy the fact that notre dame had kind of taken it uh, a step above for a little bit I'm terrified of what is about to happen with this program. I just am. And you did, by the way, fantastic job covering everything. But you're, as, I, even as a person who covered a team that I really disliked, terrific job with that as well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm very well. Worried about too much emerald that that goal is shillelagh. We'll uh, <laughs> yeah. put some scarlet into that thing now here. Uh, yeah. Pedro, so just to give you, uh, just to give our listeners a beat background, uh, you were a beat reporter for the Athletics, um, covering the Dodgers mainly. So if you are, uh, for anyone out there, who is watching this live if you have any questions for pedro about the dodgers please feel free to write them in we'll uh convey them over to him but let's start with just kind of an early early season dodgers conversation here obviously dodgers off to a great start this year freddie freeman let's talk about him first obviously the big offseason signing he steps up to the plate and his first at bat against the braves last night goes yard uh gets another tasty matchup later tonight against max freed his old teammate how has Freddie Freeman so far kind of, obviously we've seen what he's done on the field, but how has Freddie Freeman kind of fit in, in this team now in this locker room, now that he's kind of been there for a little bit longer than the abbreviated spring training? Yeah. I mean, it's still pretty short, right? Right. Uh, yeah. But, but it's, um, seems to be fitting in fine. You know, this with the Braves in town, the last couple of days have been all about, um, or been, they've been a lot about, Right. The, him, in, you know, saying hello to his old teammates and friends. You know, I was I was just at Dodger Stadium before the, tonight's game, and there's he. I didn't see. I saw Freddie Freeman in my view for like an hour and a half, and almost every minute of those, he was talking to a Braves person. Wow. Um, <laughs> probably, you know, if, and that's a conservative estimate. Like it was, it, it was just consistently, you know. Right. And so I think for him, this is. It seems to be a, a meaningful return. He said he broke into tears a couple times and offered something like 25 hugs as far as how he fits in the Dodgers. I think it's still really early, but though right. as a hitter, it's, uh, it's pretty obvious, right. How he does, he's essentially replacing Corey Seager for half mm-hmm. the cost at a, you know, at a different position, but the, the Dodgers structure their lineups in such in a way that allows them to replace the shortstop with the first baseman. And it's working out fine mm-hmm. um, so far. And I, I, I see no reason why that will not continue. So, 
I take a look at this lineup and like everyone else in the world, I see so much good and it is so impressive how good they are one through nine. And, you know, a, a starting pitching rotation that does have some question marks, uh, but, you know, obviously talented, especially up top and a solid bullpen built with uh, some very hard throwers. I always think that when somebody says a season ends with a world championship, if they don't, that it's going to be a disappointment. But if you look at this Dodgers team, and I know baseball is such a hard sport, you got to get into the postseason. It's still very hard to get into the postseason compared to other sports, even with the added wild card. And then you have to have basically not crap shoots, but you got to get a little bit lucky on the way in October. Is this Dodgers team so good on paper that anything but a world championship will be a disappointment? Yeah, I I, I think so. Yes. I mean, I, to be honest, I think that's been the case for them for since 2018, since wow. since going into the 2018 season, I would say. Right. And you could argue even going into the 2017 season that it's been World Series win or bust for them. Um, you know, I mean, I think – Pretty much every year you can find prominent people around the team, you know, stating as such to people like me, you know, and, and, and openly declaring it. So, yeah, I think um, I, I don't think there's any question that, that, you know, their fans will be disappointed if they do not um, win at all. I mean, I'm a Yankee fan, so I've grown up my entire life with this exact mentality behind me. It's World Series or bust, which makes it real hard to judge any season on its own because if it's not with a ring, it just doesn't feel right. Um, let's talk about with early season, obviously Dodgers off to a very strong start for you. What has been kind of an under the radar surprise that you've seen so far in this very early amount uh, of games played? So I'm, I'm not great at detecting what's under the radar and what's not, but I, I guess it's so like, I, you know, I've been asked this a few times and like, I just, sometimes I say something that I feel like the person that asks it is like, well, that was definitely on my radar. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. You know, it's, I'm sort of. But I, I guess I would say Gavin Lux. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, but he's also, you know, one of the most prominent. He was one of the most prominent prospects sure. in the sport this, you know, in recent times and is not old and um, is, you know, has, you know, homered in the playoffs. Like, it's not it's like he's some nothing, no name player, but uh, he's doing really well. And I think the Dodgers are the Dodgers expected this based on their their decision late in spring to trade A.J. Pollock, the White Sox for Craig Kimball, clearing a spot for Lux to play not every day because it's the Dodgers, but pretty frequently, um, you know, five ish days a week. And that's what we've seen. And I expect him to, um, to perform in that role. You know, yeah. he can, he can really hit, this is the player that yeah. I saw in 2019 in AAA uh, when mm-hmm. he was, you know, his, his AAA success in 2019 is among the, the best in the minor leagues ever. And I, you know, I say that not lightly. I mean, you go back and look at the stats. If you don't remember them, anyone listening to this, I mean, they were absurd. They were absolutely absurd. It was three yeah. days. It was three hits a night for a month. It felt like, and um, you know, the, that confidence and that caliber of hitter, the, uh, the play discipline combined with the athleticism combined with the power creates a right. vicious hitter. And if you can, if you can, you know, play that guy at sec and in left and maybe even a little bit in center, if necessary, that's, um, you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty valuable uh, combination within a player. I think people forget that Gavin Lux is only 24 years old as well, because he just seems to have Absolutely. been around for a while, you know, and, and this guy, like if you take a look at his baseball savant page, which I was doing just the other day, like 
it looks like a Utah state election. There's so much red, like average exit velocity expected on base average hard hit percentage is in the 98th percentile. Mm -hmm. I think one of the underrated things here is how fast Gavin Lux is 97th percentile in sprint speed has already stolen a couple of bases. I'm just following up on that, Pedro. Do you think that he has? So I think it's fair to say that Gavin Lux did not necessarily have the longest of leashes before. Do you think he has? Because young hitters do struggle. Do you think Gavin Lux has a little bit more of a leash this time? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's why they, they they made the moves they did because right. as as Pollock was there, if Pollock were were still in Los Angeles, he would not. You know, he simply wouldn't right. have. He, he would have been playing a couple times a week, and I, I don't. I think the Dodgers came to the conclusion that that was it was too late in the process of his development for that to continue. And so, right. yes, I think you know he they are. They are committed to him. I mean, you know, for a couple months here, which for the Dodgers is a lot, right? Like, I, I think basically he gets until the deadline. And if he's somehow awful mm -hmm. by the deadline, which I do not expect, then they'll, then they'll go out and, you know, use their prospect capital to, to sure. go and acquire somebody who can replace him. But, he, you know, and even then, they, they still have Chris Taylor and they have uh, they have plenty of depth across the So field. ridiculous. It's, it's, not a, um, it's not like they're, it's not like they're, they're thrusting their entire, uh, right. the chances on him. Right. Obviously, the, some of the biggest news from the Dodgers in this first week and a half or so was the start from Clayton Kershaw. I mean, seven innings of perfect ball, 80 pitches. Pedro, how does I mean, I know, obviously, Clayton came out and was like, this was the right call to take him out of the game. It seems like everybody's saying the right things to the media. Do you get that sense from being around the team that like everyone was on board with kind of him being taken out? after seven perfect innings and also obviously how do you feel about uh the move oh yeah i mean well i think that the the thing that is forgotten in the conversation and the discourse about this is that it was his first start of the season and oh, of course, uh, yeah. so it's 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 it, it didn't like he was never going to throw more than 90 pitches in the in the game i mean it's no. just nobody does in their first start of the season especially after a shortened spring training like right. uh, you know you that that's just it you know, I'd almost like it to be a more interesting, like a more compelling, you know, both sides the conversation where mm -hmm. you can see both. But in this case, in this in this circumstance, like I, I think it's crazy to to return uh, to have a pitcher returning from a season ending injury. Who yeah. Barely got to start in spring training and then ask him to go, you know, at least 100 pitches in his in his return. Yep. You know, and, and, and that's the minimum. Right. If you budget 10 pitches per the remaining two innings that he needed. Uh, and so, you, you know, if, if it were two starts later, I think and, and they pulled him when they did, I think that that'd be deserved. They'd be deserving of criticism for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but in this in this case, I, I just you know, I don't find it intellectually honest to say that they, you know, that they were being conservative you know, or pe people want to make a conversation about this, that it's like a, that this is the problem with baseball today. And what yeah. you know, believe me, like I'm very much against mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the, the way that a great starter in the playoffs lasts four to five innings and, and, sure. whatnot, and how this, the, the middle innings of games are turned, are turned to pitchers that no one knows beyond the most <laughs> expert fans. And that's not great for the sport. It's not great for entertainment. It's great for, right. it's great for no one except those middle relievers. But uh, in this case, this just this just isn't that story. I mean, it, it's not that. This is a product of the lockout and a product of the lockout alone. So, uh, yeah, that's it, it's it's sort of sad. Um, it's sad. It is definitely sad that you know, yeah. to have the fans robbed of an opportunity to watch that, as Clayton Kershaw pointed out the following day. But beyond yeah. that, it's like I can't intellectually say that they um, that the, the Dodgers were you know did anything wrong other than just understanding where he was in his buildup to start the season.
talked to Keith Law about this mm-hmm. last week, and you know, he took kind of a different side that you got to leave him in. But I, you know, I don't disagree with Keith a lot. But I just think with that first start, it's just not worth the risk. And I can't help but go back to like. Johan Santana was basically ruined by his, his no hitter. And I, it, it's tough to say that completely is true, but it certainly didn't help. By the way, um, a lot of people I think were accusing Clayton Kershaw of kind of acting. I've seen Clayton Kershaw act before. He's not very good at it. Anybody <laughs> who has seen that episode of new girl knows what I'm yeah. talking about. Um, you were talking we've talked a little bit about leashes and you also talked about that trade of uh, AJ Pollock going to Chicago for Craig Kimbrell uh, Kimbrell start with the Dodgers so far. It's a very small sample, but it looked mostly fine. Although there were a couple of early inning struggles, it's worth pointing out that Kimbrell last year looked great with the Cubs and then not so great in the White Sox. Although I don't think he was very comfortable in his role. So I'll ask about leashes again, like how secure do you feel like Craig Kimbrell is in that closing role? Very secure. Yeah. Very secure. Um, the Dodgers, you know, did not acquire him for, for April and May and June of 2022. That's, that's um, a great point. They acquired him for October. And I think that mm-hmm. they have plenty of time to let him figure out his form and find it and, and, and be the, the dominant closer they, they believe he can be. I, I, um, I think that, you know, they acquired him specifically because they want the luxury of using their other good relievers in, um, in more flexible positions. And Craig sure. Moore was conveniently someone who seems to pitch his best, uh, in, in the ninth. And so mm-hmm. I think they're going to keep him there as long as he, as long as it makes any sort of sense at all. So like, I mean, you, if you ask me like what, he, what he, ERA he'd have to have before he'd be removed from that role, like I would right. say, in the, you know, over a month plus like to have the sample, sample size stabilized, I'd say like over five, um, yeah, he'd, have to be, he'd have to be pretty bad um, for a while for them not to leave him in there and leave him to figure things out because this is, you know, this is a picture, as you said, Chris, this, he, he's been both really great and really yeah. awful in his career. Yeah. Uh, mostly the former, but sometimes yes. the latter. And so sure. it's not crazy for him to be, you know, it wouldn't be, it, it would be totally believable that he would be bad in May and then be really good down the stretch. Like those, great that, wouldn't, that sequence of events would not surprise me at all. So I, I think, you know, obviously the Dodgers would like him to be great all year round, but the most important time, the reason he's acquired is to uh, to have a dominant relief really farm they can turn to in October, so they don't have to use their um, their starters in in um, in unconventional roles, which worked really well for them in 2020 and not right. that well for them in right. 2021. So, great yeah. point. Plus, he gives the it gives gives Dave Roberts the freedom to kind of use Blake Trinan as that multi inning reliever towards right. the end of innings if he needs, kind of to mix and match him in there. Um, obviously, with a set ninth inning guy that they've had there in Kenley Jansen, now obviously uh, moved over. I think that kind of makes the same sense here. I'm um, sticking with kind of the pitching aspect here. Um, obviously, kind of there has been the specter of Trevor Bauer kind of hovering over this team. And there was brought up again this past week as he seemed to want to come to the ballpark and kind of force the issue. Um, Obviously we don't know anything more about the suspensions or anything along those lines, but how much of a specter is this Trevor Bauer stuff kind of hanging over the locker room at all, obviously as they're trying to focus on winning games now. I'm I'm not sure that I'm that aware that I would be that aware either way, but it it doesn't seem to be one to me. I think, you know, he, it's been a while since he's been there. You know, we're coming up right. on, ten, it's, it's 10 months essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wasn't there for very long, right. Before, before this. So he was there for a total of, you know, if you count spring training 2021, he was there for a total of four months uh, before 
before he was, you know, uh, placed on administrative leave and, and mm-hmm. sort of removed from the clubhouse and pretty quickly replaced, you know, his locker was taken over by Max Scherzer. And, um, you know, that's one way to, to, to have people move, move on. Yeah. Yes. So, That'll do um, it. Yeah. It, uh, I, I can't say, I, I don't think the dot, you know, the, uh, my full understanding is that, is that the Dodgers are prepared to move on without him. Um, and I, I, you know, whether he'll pitch again, not this year, any, anywhere, anytime, wherever he will pitch, it's, I don't know. It's hard to predict how, how teams will respond to what he's been accused of and, um, and what he admitted to in the court with, through his lawyers. But, uh, it's, it's not, I wouldn't necessarily call it a, uh, a specter, you know, a, uh, a room that has, you know, since he left added Trey Turner, Max Scherzer, Craig Kimbrell and Freddie Freeman, if I'm not forgetting anyone, you know, incredibly fa- good and famous. No, baseball. that's about it. Um, yeah, it it's a, you know, that would be Which is kind of amazing to think that they've added all of them in 10 months. That is yeah, pretty amazing yeah. to think that any team has done that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's not a, uh, it's not like there's not distractions, you know, there's plenty of uh, distractions. They just, the, uh, you know, the Freddie Freeman Braves thing is dominating this week. The Craig Kimbrell trade dominated the end of spring training. There's, you know, there's always, there's always something, uh, right. there's always something going on here. Before we start talking about your book, I wanted to ask you about a couple of minor leaguers, if you don't mind, because a lot of people think this is the most complete system in baseball. I happen to be one of those people. I think that there are maybe some systems that have a little higher end talent at the top, but if you just look complete, like one through top 25, I don't think any system comes close. And, you know, you've got names like Bobby Miller and Michael Bush and Miguel Vargas and Landon Knack and Ryan Pepiot. Are they more likely to have those type of guys fill needs for this team? Or do you think this, these are, this is a situation where the Dodgers, because their system is so deep can go make moves like they did last season do you think there's a chance that guys like Vargas could help uh, the Dodgers this year, or is it more likely that Vargas is helping somebody else to bring in another piece to this team? It's a good question. I think um, I think uh, I, I, if you were asking me which of their prospects are most most likely to help this team this season, I would I would lean more towards the pitching folks mm. because there's you know injured pitching injuries are guaranteed to happen. They will right. have innings openings come up. But, sure. And I think, you know, the likes of uh, Bobby Miller and Landon Knack, Ryan Pepio, those are all, all three of those I could see, you know, feasibly, uh, you know, aiding the team, especially down the stretch as you look at like Bobby Miller, you know, I think, right. I, I think that I could see Bobby Miller on something like a Walker Bueller uh, 2017 path where he's called up in a role um, and tried to, you know, tries to help the, the squad in some way, wh- whether there's a rotation opening or not. You know, the, the arm is electric enough and the control seems to be good enough, the command that, that he, uh, I, I, I would think that he's going to get a chance if he's healthy at least. So Miguel Vargas is a fast rising prospect. Uh, you know, where he would fit, I don't know. You know, it's, a, it's easier to fit in a pitcher Right. Um, to, to just throw a few innings here and there. Um, it's harder to get Vargas the sort of at bats that you'd want for his development. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you're, it's more of, it's more dependent on, you know, is Justin Turner healthy in August is, um, you know, how's Chris Taylor performing? Is he healthy? You know, right. and the rest of the infield really. So it's, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could certainly see the Dodgers trading, you know, one or more of those names that you mentioned for, for mm-hmm. deadline help. It's also sort of hard to predict right now where the deadline help will be needed. Right. Um, right. I mean, and so it's, you're, you're, 
you're guessing based on injuries and whatnot. The last time the Dodgers traded, you know, premium prospects, Cabert Ruiz and, and Josiah Gray to the Nationals for Scherzer and Turner, it was it was pretty clear that Ruiz for a while there was blocked, right? And um, right. blocked on the on the front end and back blocked on the back end, right? <laughs> um, with uh, with Diego Cartaya, he's Will. so good. And so there was uh, there was really no room for him. Um, right. to, you know, there was no six year cycle for him to be at a, at a you know, at his, uh, underpaid level at the major leagues. So it's, it just made natural sense for him to be traded. Um, real quick, real yeah. quick, Bobby Miller, uh, for everybody listening is a guy, I think you need to add in dynasty leagues if you can, because, oh my goodness gracious, is this mm-hmm. stuff special? Like a guy who got drafted, I believe he's 29th overall or yeah, 29th overall at the university of Arizona. I mean, when I, I only got a gr- brief glimpse of him in the Arizona Fall League, but holy crap. And I saw what he did also in spring training this year, just looking dominant. I, I think this guy, if he does get that chance to pitch, and again, you're talking about maybe a guy who is only getting the multi-inning role out of the bullpen, but I could definitely see him making starts. You're going to want to pay attention to this guy if he gets to AAA because not only can he help in dynasty leagues, if he does get a chance to make starts, I think Bobby Miller has a chance to be really special. Oh yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think that's absolutely, I, based on the evaluators that I talked to that I sure. trust you know a lot more about baseball than me. I think that's absolutely um, uh, the right warning and uh, <laughs> yeah. to append to him. Yeah. Yeah. You know what the, we say on this show, better be early than late. So yes, we, we, we ride this here on the pod. <laughs> so Pedro, let's let's talk about your book here a second here. It's titled How to Beat a Broken Game, The Rise of the Dodgers in a League on the Brink. Why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a, a preview of what they should expect from the book? Yeah, happy to. Um, it's it's a lot of what we've been discussing here, right? It's how how the Dodgers have built this, this remarkably uh, – stacked roster and farm system and how they've had it for several years now and how they project to have it for several years going forward um, and how there's really no end in sight to their dominance, you know, and how the only thing stopping them from a dynasty is, is, um, you know, a couple world series games. Yeah. Um, And, um, you know, and how they built this Uh, going back to the, you know, going back to Andrew Friedman's rival and and, um, their, you know, significant profiles in the book of the key pieces within this roster, Clayton Kershaw, Mookie Betts, Max Muncy, uh, Dave Roberts, Walker Bueller. And um, it explains, you know, how they built this, you know, down to the nitty gritty. I mean, for example, Walker Bueller was a, was not a top pick in the 2015 draft, but should have been. Uh, And, uh, and, and the Dodgers got him despite the fact that other teams had, you know, the teams that had been worse the previous season had earned the right to draft better prospects and had, you know, opted against it. And why the Dodgers found uh, found Walker Buehler and what they saw in him that other people had not seen at the time, and uh, and how they developed him and how they got him to the point where he's, you know, a top five pitcher in baseball. It seems based on you know the, the consensus right now and. Um, going into the details about how they've done this and you know the the, the next part of the book and the, the the other significant part of the book is that how their tactics have also changed the way baseball is played across the board as people have tried to replicate their success and how some of those things have um have, have contributed to make the game uh a little less entertaining in the in the day-to-day so a good example of that is defensive shifts popularized introduced by andrew friedman in tampa um, brought to Los Angeles when he when he arrived the Dodgers and you know the Dodgers are as of until through last season the the number one practitioner of defensive shifts in the sport Andrew Friedman 
uh, noted to me that he does not like employing defensive shifts. In fact, he described them as a, a I believe, a terrible quality of life play. <laughs> um, but but you know cannot deny the success that right. they uh, that they uh, confer upon the uh, upon his upon his job upon his team upon their you know continued success. And so that's one example of you know I, I think you know regardless of how you feel that shifts should be treated in you know in in this CBA and whether they should be banned I think we can accept that the cur- the current way they are used and, and employed has made the sport less entertaining because they have they have you know hitters have not adapted to them and they have or they have not sorry that's, they have adapted but they've adapted in a way that has made the product worse because they've right. tried homers and uh, to to essentially not be affected by by the shift so uh, I think if we led, if we legislated that, or I shouldn't say we, but if the sport legislated that, there would be I could see there being uh, more balls in play, which I think would it would help not just time of game but pace of play more so, which I think is right. a big problem facing the game. Right. So there's lots of things like that. You know how the Dodgers have approached arbitration. Andrew Friedman is also um, widely credited with um, with uh, introducing file and trial, which has been um, the number one practice of teams now when they when they approach arbitration with their players is. Um, is in a negotiating tactic that has really tilted the the the, side, the, the, um, the ledger towards clubs and against players. The Dodgers have really, you know, when you look at what is going well and you know what, what is going on in baseball today, uh, a lot of it is because of what the Dodgers have done and their people, right. you know, and 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 that goes for you know the likes of Justin Turner and how he reinvented himself as a hitter on the cusp of thirty and how. Um, essentially, you know, the next nine years have been hitters trying to do a lot of the same thing and how, uh, you know, I quote a, a GM in there, Sam Fold of the, of the Phillies describing Turner as the first person to really start that trend of right. players reinventing themselves. Uh, and it's, it's amazing when you really take a step back as I did last year and, and try to and report and write this book, how much of the modern game is, um, you know, has been influenced and really you could say even more than influenced, almost guided by yeah. what the Dodgers have done and succeeded. Mm-hmm. So that would be the um, not that short, but you know, somewhat short uh, <laughs> no, the, the summation of the book. I I was struck by uh, what you were talking about and how you know the Dodgers have implemented a lot of small market things to a team that calling them a big market almost seems like an understatement type of thing. Do you think though that the Dodgers' biggest benefit with what they're doing is like you did? You've seen them sign free agents like Freddie Freeman, and they signed Trevor Bauer, and you know, obviously willing to spend. But would you say it's a fair assessment to say that the biggest benefit the Dodgers have is that they can implement these tactics that you typically see from teams? You think of more teams like Tampa Bay or Milwaukee or someone like that. The fact that they're going to be able to re-sign these players internally, do you think that's a bigger benefit than the fact that they can go out and go sign guys like Freeman? Um, I mean, they're both big benefits, right? And they're a product of the right. money. Um, but I think I would argue that, you know, and I'm, I'm sure Colin can attest to this, you know, I, I view a lot of what the Dodgers have done successfully in a prism of the other big, you know, biggest yeah. market teams with the Yankees. Sure. And, um, you know, over the last 15 years, the Yankees have not always been in position to spend um, mm-hmm. because of their um, their overly aggressive. You could you could describe uh, decisions to sign, you know, or, or acquire top top. Uh, top uh, highly paid players that have then right. you know, performed fine, but maybe not to the to the to the contract. And sure. so the Dodgers have preserved more. You know, they're on they're on similar financial levels. I would say obviously the Dodgers payroll has, is higher right now um, and has been some at, at plenty of times. But you know the, the Yankees can spend like the Dodgers can spend, mm-hmm. and 
the Dodgers have used their spending um, much more frugally and with much more of a long-term perspective. And I think that's why, you know, the, I think a lot of fans were clamoring for the Dodgers to sign Bryce Harper uh, before he signed with the Phillies. They passed on that and then, and then signed, you know, or, and then traded for Mookie Betts later. And the only reason they were able to do that is because they hadn't signed Harper and because they had the financial flexibility that no one else in the sport had. And they were able to take on half of David Price's significant contract. Right. And so, these are the things that they that they continue to do. The way I describe it in the book is that they they are almost never desperate. They uh, you know they they thrive on other teams being desperate, and it right. really helps them. You know, I think you know you point to the, the trade they made with the Cincinnati Reds to acquire um, two great prospects, Josiah Gray and and um, and Jeter Downs. Um, right. That was a desperate trade by the Reds. They decided that they wanted to contend the following season. But only on short with only with players on short term deals. So they went out and acquired from the Dodgers Alex Wood, Yasiel Puig, and Matt Kemp, all on one year. Mm-hmm. None, you know, massive impact players the following season, obviously. And right. um, you know, to for the privilege of acquiring those three players uh, on short term contracts, they got rid of Homer Bailey's contract and parted with two top one hundred prospects. Uh, mm-hmm. They were not top one hundred prospects at the time, but they no. <laughs> within in Los Angeles they soon became that. And so then the Dodgers <laughs> parlayed, you know, that into like a half of Max Scherzer and Trey Turner mm-hmm. and. You know, something like half of Mookie Betts. Um, and that's the sort of thing that, you know, when the when the smaller market teams are taking their their prospects and selling them to big market teams for uh, to, to desperately try to go for it, you know, that's when you know the sport is really tilted in the Dodgers' favor. And so, Chris, I would say that both of those, you know, the, the, the fact that they can they can trade for Trey Turner and, you know, conceivably sign him to a long-term extension or conceivably sure. not and be okay yeah. either way. Right. Um, you know, is is a remarkable testament to their um, to to what they've assembled here and how long it can last. You know, mm-hmm. you could argue that you know how Gavin Lux comports himself this year, how he plays, would is a significant indicator into whether you need to resign Turner. You know, if Lux sure. is like a depth defender and hits, you know, to an eight hundred something OPS, then you know what's the advantage of resigning Trey Turner, or you know, the advantage lessens at least. Um, right when you have a potentially ready-made shortstop already proving that he can hit. So yeah. they have, they just have lots of flexibility and um, they always, they have since Andrew Freeman arrived and it's only been increasing and, you know, fans can say, fans do say and can say and should say that, yes, it's, that it's because, because of their money and it is, but it's also because they've used the money more wisely than their, than their big market mm-hmm. peers. Sure. Yeah, no argument on this side of the table as uh, as I continue to look at a payroll that is near the top of the league every single year and looking around going, but how did we come into an offseason with somehow no money in our pockets? You know, we're spending this much <laughs> money out here everywhere we go. Sure. Um, so as you were writing this book, you mentioned, uh, you said you started this obviously over the last few years. How did writing this book and kind of going through, you know, obviously the rise of the Dodgers and also, you know, kind of them building a product that is better on the field and less great for viewers. How did all of that kind of get shaped by the lens of the lockout and the CBA talk and all the rest of that as, you know, you kind of juggled both of those topics? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, they, uh, this is, this is one reason. I mean, the, the Dodgers success is, I think I lay out in the book, you know, an argument that it's a significant reason the sport is approached is in the position that it's in. Um, you know, and I mean, this lockout was, you know, long foreseeable, right? Is the, I, I was not the first person to predict it. You know, I, I believe it was predicted, you know, within days after the 2016 CBA was finalized yeah, right. in, exactly. in November uh, 2015. 
what yeah something like that i mean long time ago you know yes so you know i i signed this this book deal long before there was a lockout but we knew you know essentially that it was going to happen and that 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 we wanted to frame the structure of this through in that you know in the fact that the the haves in, in baseball are getting even more significant you know are much like uh, in you know other parts of life, um, the haves have more than ever, and the have-nots um, have less. Um, right. And um, you know, as, as evidenced by like the Dodgers and you know the Diamondbacks or the Cincinnati Reds. And I think there's a lot of people in baseball wondering how and when a team like the Diamondbacks can contend with the Dodgers in the NL. When's that going to happen? Right. And it's not like the Diamondbacks have been you know particularly poorly run. You know, they've made they've made smart moves, some smart moves, sure. you know, they've gotten unlucky in times, but it's, it's just a matter of, you know, when is that going team going to enter a season projected to win more than the Los Angeles Dodgers? Like how, how many years from now is that? And I right. think that when you look at the, when you start examining that and considering that, that's, that's a problem for a sport that relies on 30 markets being engaged. Right. Yeah. And that was one element that we looked at as far as, you know, that was going to precipitate a lockout because not all the owners are on the same page necessarily right. as far as, you know, what is, you know, what is a path forward for the sport. And sure. then you also look at how the players are increasingly uh, unhappy with the way they've been exploited by major league owners and, and, and executives in terms of um, you know, switching positions they, they, they play and suppressing their, their full-time play so that they don't quite as make it make as much in arbitration or service time manipulation along the long time story. Uh, those sorts of things are all stuff the Dodgers have employed. By no means am I laying out in this book that this is all the Dodgers' fault, um, but it, it's an examination of the fact that the um, the most successful teams, chiefly the Dodgers, you know, have paced, have, have shaped and paced the sport. And that a lot of what is, you know, wrong with it we can say you know from a fairly impartial perspective it is what you know what the great teams have have deployed so successfully and that you know to what has helped them win has also hurt um the sport in in several cases and so that was um that was absolutely part of the story because that's part of the future of baseball it's like you know how sustainable is this sport as it is today you know the commissioner has now said that there will you know they plan to make rule changes for the 2023 season I think a lot of people within the game are looking forward to something changing because they see the path that the game is on in terms of the pace of play dramatically uh, decreasing over the last um, 20 years. And uh, they know that things need to change. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Pedro. Again, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Before we let you go and before we give you a little time to plug all of your social media accounts and all of the ways that people can follow and love you, one of a personal question from my end here. I am hopefully soon, fingers crossed, heading out to my first Dodgers game at Dodger Stadium. Nice. So to talk through a, a first time or what is the things out there? If you're going to Dodger Stadium, you're going to be there one time. What are the things in outside the stadium that you absolutely have to hit? Okay. Um, the food at Dodger Stadium is bad. Uh, okay. It's one of the worst in the major leagues. Um, <laughs> they don't. They, they, <laughs> they unfortunately do not commit to using local vendors in the same way that a lot of other you know success stadiums have. You know, I point mm-hmm. to someone like you. I'm sure you've heard this before, but Petco Park does this much better. Yep. Oh um, yeah, great acclaim. But all other other places do it much better too. I mean, Target Field, for example. Yeah, great call. Um, and so it's disappointing, you know, endlessly as someone who has spent a lot of my adult life at Dodger stadium and a lot of my um, childhood there too. They they do not, um, they haven't committed to bringing in local vendors in the same way. The fortunate thing is that Dodger stadium is, you know, right in the thick of the city, uh, which, you know, people don't always realize in my experience. So there's plenty of things you can do uh, on your way in. Um, 
you know, I would, I, I love a taco place. That's uh, basically a walk, walk, a walk, you know, a, a, a steep walk up to the, to the ballpark, but you can, you can get there pretty quickly. Um, it's called Mexi Cali taco and co. Um, mm-hmm. And um, wonderful place, wonderful salsa bar. They specialize in vampiros, a, a uh, mm-hmm. garlic quesadilla functionally. Um, very good. Um, other places, I mean, there's near the um, near the stadium. There's a a, a long tenured bar, uh, the shortstop. There's lots of bars on Sunset. I would just make sure you realize how in the city you are and how you don't have to necessarily drive in there. You there's lots right. of things within a um, within a short. Uh, ride trans uh car ride or scooter ride or uh bus ride or walk um yeah. and so just take advantage of being right in the middle of the city in a way that um that i think a lot of the people driving in from from the suburbs don't don't necessarily get to so you're, you're in for treat um los angeles is a hard place to be a tourist i think but it's um it's a it's a really rewarding place to be um to be a resident um and i've lived here for all my life and i, I have no desire to to leave at any point soon <laughs> When you were, when you were talking about that, like, and I, if, if they've added this, I apologize, but it doesn't sound like they've had, like, if sh- you think about how Shake Shack does in like city field, I know that in and out, it gives people a lot of controversial takes. I personally love it. I know a lot of people are, think it's overrated. Can you imagine how well in and out would do at Dodger stadium? It would do, it would do wonderfully. I do believe, I mean, not that this is the same point, but there is, there is a Shake Shack at Dodger Stadium now. I, I oh, guess. okay. That's but, good. You know, that's, it's still not you a You can get Shake vendor. Shack anytime, Colin. Like, there's probably a Shake Shack, like, right underneath you. Two blocks I, I away. Two blocks away. I I, two blocks away, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've done a lot of expanding. <laughs> you could say that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> since, <laughs> since, like, I first uh, had it at City Field in, what, like, 2012 or something like that. Something, it yeah. Was, um, I, I don't know how many locations they have. They have quite a bit. But, you know, yeah. their quality control seems to be better than most. Yep. Well, thank you, Pedro, so much for all of that. Please give, um, you know, take this time. Please let our listeners know how they can follow you and uh, and read all your work. Yeah, I'm not a um, I'm not a big, um, not a huge uh, social media person these days. I think uh, my name on Twitter is, is probably the easiest place that I am um, at occasionally. Um, I would, um, you know, love to hear if anyone does read the book and, and wants to email me or something like that. It's um, you can email me directly. That's kind of my favorite place to communicate. Just my first name, the letter D, and my last name at gmail.com. Happy to happy to chat there. Um, and yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Um, it's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoy your visit to uh, to LA, Colin. I'm sure I will. Uh, thank you again, Pedro, for coming on. Like he said, you can follow him on Twitter at Pedro Mora, or you can email him at Pedro D Mora at Gmail. Is that what I got that right? Yes. All right. Yes. Wanted to make sure I have that right. And again, the book for all of you out there, uh, the book again, How to Beat a Broken Game, The Rise of the Dodgers in a League on the Brink by Pedro Mora. Um, so that's about the end of our show for today. If you're dancing to our tune, please make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. And while you're at it, be sure to follow NBC Sports Edge on Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch to be informed of all of our live shows so you can join in on the action. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Don't Lie, and you can follow Chris at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. Be sure to tune back in tomorrow as Chris invites Philly's beat writer Alex Coffey from the Philly Inquirer onto the pod, so make sure you don't miss it. So until then, stay safe out there, and as always, thanks for listening. Dom Smith really doesn't make sense for the Dodgers. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.